Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by Huckberry. Huckberry is my favorite place to shop online. Everything from clothing, they got stuff for your everyday carry, camping gear, things for your house, like furniture and even like art. You name it, they've got it. And they handpick all this stuff to feature in their store. Go check it out at Huckberry.com. And if you want to see some of the things I've purchased from Huckberry over the years, go to aom.is slash aomhuck. And if it's your first time purchasing, use code ART15 at checkout and you'll save 15% off your first purchase. Again, aom.is is slash AOM Huck and then code ART15 to save 15% off your first purchase. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another episode of the Art of Manliness podcast. And this week we return to our series called Man Stories, where Every other week, we interview a different gentleman and ask him what it means to be a man. And this week, our guest is Casper. Casper, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Brett. Pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to speak to us. Well, Casper, before we get started with the questions, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. I'm 27, and I live and was born in London in the UK, and spent seven years studying art, so I'm almost like an art doctor now. And I graduated two and a half years ago and also spent a long time, about eight years, working in one of the biggest museums in London, like all the time I was studying and everything, so I'm still working there now. And I play a lot of volleyball, coach a couple of beginner sessions of volleyball, so yeah, so that's, that's pretty much it. Well, good deal. Well, you ready to get started with the questions? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, Casper, what's, when do you feel like you became a man? <clears throat> I, I don't know if it's happened yet. I think I'm still... I've got that default setting where, like, if somebody asked me how old I was and I had to answer, like, straight away, then I'd, I'd probably say 17 or 18. Or <clears throat> so I'm not really sure. And also, uh, I used to work more on family events in the museum, like, just helping kids make samurai helmets out of sugar paper and card and stuff. And it always felt a bit weird and wrong when their parents would say, oh, ask, ask the man for some glue or ask the man for something. You know, I didn't feel, you know, I didn't realize they were talking about me or it. Occasionally, when I have to take the lift up to the office now, because I work more in the office, uh, there's a mirror in the back, and when I'm facing my own reflection, I'm sort of confronted with my own, uh, sort of, I don't know, seeing like a stubbly face. I think stubble is the main signifier of, of a man is for me, although it still feels like sort of wearing a mask. I still feel kind of, I don't know, probably permanently 17 or 18 on the inside, and I'm just aging on the outside. Hmm. So what does manliness mean to you, Casper? Okay, well, I've been trying to think about it a lot lately. I sort of deal a lot with it, uh, a lot of my own artwork, where I use sort of, in inverted commas, kind of stereotypically manly source material. So lots of old books, or like 50s, 60s, kind of Arctic science and exploration and crossing the Antarctic and mountain climbing. And also, you know, like uh, Thoreau and Melville and just men with beards kind of stuff. 
And I want to try and work out exactly what my fascination is with it, because I don't want to be willfully nostalgic or kind of chauvinistic, like, I don't know, Jack Vetriano, who paints all those women in black dresses and stockings and high heels and stuff. Like, I think there's something to it that's, you know, that's sort of more interesting than just that sort of, I don't know, slightly too retrospective thing. So I think uh, in terms of my artwork, I think I'm always fascinated by where masculinity or all these ideas of masculinity are slightly undermined. Uh, I really love pictures I've got in books of, you know, kind of Greenland scientists. I've just got um, lots of books of, like, Greenland scientists, uh, and it's just a very male environment. There are all these men with beards. But because they're all there just in the huts, you know, in the middle of the snow, it becomes a very domestic environment, and it's quite sweet, you know, that they have to kind of bake birthday cakes and do all these things. And I think a lot of manliness is about that. It's not just a straightforward, you know, brute thing. It's it's where that complex thing comes together. And uh, I think men are generally quite ridiculous, and I think we have to embrace that a bit more. And also in life, I think, to contrast it just from my own experience, like my until recent girlfriend, like, she was always sort of very anxious, but she was very good at anticipating and planning ahead. And, you know, she had a very good memory, whereas I've got a terrible episodic memory. <laughs> I can't really uh, remember what's happened to me or what happened last week. I can learn stuff. I'm not, like, completely, uh, I don't know, dense, but just... And I have no anticipation, so I just pretty much live in a constant moment. And I think it might be a typical male thing, or I'm just speaking for myself, that... You know, I sort of, I'm good at living in the moment, which means I never worry. But it also means that I wouldn't really get anything done if it was just down to me. So if it wasn't down to either my girlfriend or my grandma, who I go on holiday with, you know, sort of once a year, like suggesting stuff, I would never think of going on holiday just because I never think past the next meal. So I think manliness is sort of, or I think that's how men and women compliment each other. It's like we don't worry so much, but we just live in the moment and maybe help get stuff done, or I don't know. Hmm. Also, just one thing else that sort of struck me today about this question is uh, there's a essay by John Berger called Ways of Seeing about, like, uh, art and paintings. And he says in paintings, or traditionally, like, Renaissance paintings, men are, de men are defined by what they can do, like their actions, whereas women are more defined by what they are. And I think, you know, sort of to a certain extent, that's, that's sort of true in life, because... I think we feel like problem solvers, and we feel like as long as we've got a job, we're okay. It kind of stops us worrying about things, like as long as we can solve a problem. So, so yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of men have trouble just thinking about, you know, if they don't have something to do. I mean, that's why unemployment with men uh, yeah. is a lot more devastating uh, than it is on women. Um, it's a lot harder on them because, yeah, if they don't have something to do, they feel useless. Yeah, and, and not just that, but I think uh, sometimes we feel like we have to do stuff because there's that scene in... What is it? White men can't jump. Where Rosie Perez says, you know, like sort of I'm thirsty, and when Woody Harrelson says he'll get a glass of water, she's like, why? Why do you do that? I don't want you to like fix my problem. And I thought that was just a joke thing. I thought that was just like a cinematic kind of device, but it's actually true. Like a girl, a friend, of my girlfriend at work actually said that to me once. You know, she was just complaining about something, and I was trying to come up with suggestions. She's like, why do men always feel they have to do that? And I didn't realise that it's an actual problem. So maybe we need to learn to empathise a bit more. Mm -hmm. But I think we feel that, you know, if we're given a problem, our job is to try and solve it somehow. Yeah. Well, Casper, what men, either living, dead, or even fictional, have influenced your views of manliness? Okay, I'm going to start with the, the real, sort of, although uh, mostly dead, but some real. I think my biggest male role models were probably uh, both my grandfathers. 
because, I mean, my biological father kind of left when I was quite young, so he's not been as much of an influence, although he's not completely estranged because I've seen him occasionally. But for a long time, for about eight or nine years, I didn't hear anything from him, so he didn't really figure. And my stepdad didn't sort of come along until I was seven, which is old enough that I didn't ever, like, feel like he was my dad. He was just a sort of friend. So my two, uh, and I'm an only child, sort of raised by my mother, who was a Polish immigrant, so I didn't have any cousins or anything nearby. So my two biggest male role models were my grandfathers. So I had one Polish grandfather, and he, like, uh, when he worked, was a barrister. And, you know, he was just a very uh, inspirational kind of character. He was a poet, and he was quite sort of, you know, fun-loving, like slightly stern, but slightly sort of fun-loving as well. He really loved his grandchildren and played a lot of chess. He met my grandma playing chess, and he was also addicted to bridge. So, like, you know, he actually snuck out of hospital in his dressing gown to catch a cab to a bridge game, and, you know, they took it, like, really seriously. So I really look up to him. He was sort of quite suave, debonair, and, but just, like, really, you know, a nice character. And also my uh, Latvian grandpa, my paternal grandfather, um, you know, he had to run away from Latvia when he was 18 when the Russians invaded. And so he never saw his mother again after that, and just as a refugee, he ended up in Wales where he met my grandma, so he had, you know, pretty much nothing. He was just a displaced person. But, you know, they moved to London, and he did correspondence courses. And so he was very, like, self-made, and he ended up, you know, being a, you know, quite high-up accountant, kind of man- management and accounting. And, you know, so he had to teach himself a lot of things, and he had notebooks full of, you know, just dates of monarchs and popes and things like that. And uh, also he was, you know, quite a sort of connoisseur. He loved classical music and opera. And also, like, fine wine. Like, for somebody that wasn't actually an alcoholic, he drank more sort of wine than anything, you know, than anybody I know, because just they loved traveling to Germany, to the vineyards. And and he also played a a lot of chess. So uh, later in life, because he died, I mean, both my grandfathers died quite close together. But, um, you know, a few years before he died, he had to have a laryngectomy. They took out his voice box because he had throat cancer. So he couldn't talk, but I think it was perfectly fine, because as long as he could just play chess by himself and listen to music, he was, he was quite happy. So I think they're two of my biggest role models, and also my stepdad's really cool, and he's quite a good male role model as well. He's from New Zealand, and he's the eldest of 12 children, and pretty much grew up on a farm in New Zealand. A very different story to me. Of being an only child, I was quite mollycoddled by my mother, so... I don't think he resents it too much, but, you know, like, he had a, just a different environment where he was the old 12 and was pretty much going to school barefoot with a horse kind of thing. Yeah, and then to go to, I don't know, fictional or, or no, uh, other people that aren't related to me. Quite inspired by Herman Melville. Like, I just love his short stories, but also just the story of, of, I don't know, it's quite tragic the way his fame never increased in his lifetime. He just, got, you know, fell into more and more obscurity, but just the fact that he kind of, followed through and wrote poetry that nobody bought and did, you know, what he felt he had to do and been reading a lot of Charles Bukowski recently, so maybe that's not uh, too good an influence. I mean, I really love Post Office and the way he manages to stay aloof from a job that uh, he doesn't really enjoy, but he's never demeaned by it because he's always just sort of above that. So, uh, And also Henry David Thoreau, Thor Heyerdahl, uh, love, just love reading the Contiki Expedition, and also, just one last one, Eve Klein, uh, the conceptual artist, because he was also uh, a judo instructor, and he made me realize it was okay to do sports, like be a volleyball coach and try and be an artist at the same time. Very interesting. Um, 
So, Casper, you mentioned uh, your biological father wasn't a, a big part of your life, but yeah. has he had an influence in your conception of manliness or maybe your stepfather? Uh, yeah, no, sort of. I mean, because I do sort of know him a bit better now. Like, my grandma wants to see him a bit. He's, he's basically he lived about 20 years in Kuwait, and then last year he's living in Dubai, and at the moment he's living in Oman. So I've traveled with my grandma to Kuwait and Dubai and Oman. And so I sort of know him, but don't really, like, communicate that much. But I know what he's like, and it's quite depressing. Like, he's actually got exact, we're almost vocal twins. Like, I've got, I've inherited this really stupid voice, which I hate. I'm sorry if I'm, like, rambling a bit. But, uh, but he's, like, a, I guess, like a negative role model. And the thing is, he's not really a bad person. I mean, he's quite an okay person to go for a drink with. But, yeah, not really, like, a responsible person. So, so quite a good negative role model in that way. Let's see, uh, my stepdad. He's always been quite sort of quiet, or he's not really stern, but he's more of a sort of dry, you know, just dry person. Like, he doesn't say too much, and I guess maybe that's a manly trait, is that we sort of don't always just, like, share our innermost emotions. We're just sort of quiet and, you know, sort of communicate what we have to. And he always worked with aviation, uh, like he had a pilot's license and worked on navigation systems. So we go quite a lot to, like, different airfares and steam railways and things which you like so so he's quite a handy kind of practical person also you know having that sort of farm upbringing he's a very handy person so i guess that's sort of what my idea of manliness might be okay yeah so and also also both my grandfathers like i think i think basically men are we're just slightly ridiculous so so everybody's got these flaws uh, these these flaws which make them more interesting or human so so yeah, so I guess maybe it's either not sharing enough or being just slightly emotionally repressed or, I don't know, slightly emotionally retarded. I think basically we're slightly like big boys and and that's the mix that makes, that, that I've been thinking about in terms of manliness. Hmm. And now, uh, speaking of your stepfather, your, your father, your grandfather, is there something that they can do that you can't do but you wish you could? Yeah, I guess like with my stepdad, it's being more handy because... You know, just like with plumbing or electricity or cars or things. Like, I had, I've got this arts education, which means I'm a bit handy. Like, I'm okay with tools and wood and paint and things generally. But but mostly I'm, I feel a bit cack-handed or just, you know, like a sort of jack-of-all-trades, master of none. So I wish I could actually be a bit more independent in terms of fixing stuff. And Because I'm an only... I'm an only grandchild, like of my my Welsh, my paternal grandma that lives in London. You know, my uh, my Latvian grandpa was only child, and my by dad was only child. So, and I'm an only child. So, we're the only two like relatives in this country. So, I I do a lot of shopping for her, and I'm the only person that she's sort of guaranteed to see regularly. So, I wish I could actually help her a bit more around the house. I mean, I help you know with what I can do in cleaning and stuff, but just. You know, not having to call plumbers or electricians and stuff to fix stuff. So I think that would be good. And the other thing is just to play chess better, because three of my four grandparents were, like, really into chess and, uh, like, champions and things. And my cousin that's really close to me was a junior chess champion. And I've always felt like a sort of family inadequacy, not being able to play better. All right. Well, Casper, what's the hardest thing you've ever done as a man, either emotionally, physically, or otherwise? Okay, I, I... I thought about this. I, I I couldn't think of too many answers. I think I've probably just had quite an easy life. So so physically, like I just can't think of anything apart from really painful thing. My lung collapsed twice a, a few years ago, 
Mm. And the worst thing is just having like these doctors root around in your in your chest because it really hurts. But but then I had no choice, so that wasn't really a hard thing to do. Um, I guess emotionally, uh, it was sort of just breaking up with my girlfriend of six years uh, just before Christmas, just now. Mm. So hence, I'm sort of living at my parents at the moment, or have been for the last month. And it was, I don't know, I mean, it was completely my mistake. And I, I sort of erred, and I was too ashamed or embarrassed to, like, admit it straight away. So so I just sort of bottled everything up, and then, and then I think I just sort of uh, panicked and broke up because I felt like it seemed like what was meant to happen. And But also it just sort of built up because for a long time I felt, you know, I was holding her back. Well, I, wasn't, I didn't think I was being completely selfish. I thought I was holding her back as well. And, but, you know, she was a lot more disappointed and frustrated with me generally than apparently she actually was. So it's probably, you know, it's half-based on a fallacy. And we'll see what happens. We just agreed not to talk for a month and, you know, just to have a bit of space and everything. So we'll, we'll see what happens. It was probably just a big, horrible mistake. But it's been quite tough. And also, we mainly have mutual friends. So I, so I haven't just... I haven't seen anybody the last month. It's quite terrifying just spending so much time in your own head. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's not... I, I think just generally as men, if... if I mean, I, I don't want to paint, like, such a negative picture of manliness because I said, like, I feel like we're slightly... I don't know, childlike or kind of slightly emotionally repressed or... But I think that's our strength as well. I think we have to sort of, uh, uh, like, admit that. And I think my... Just one thing that sort of not inspires me, but I have this, like, uh, fortune cookie kind of note that's blue fact onto my computer at work that says, the man who makes no mistakes does not usually make anything else. Mm. And I think maybe that's, that's what we do. Like, we sort of make mistakes, but, you know, we try and fix them and we try and learn through them. So so maybe we're the mistake makers. <laughs> but, yeah, so, so I don't want to end on a completely negative note, so I was just going to say that, you know, on a more positive, constructive note, if I could give one piece of advice, to the men out there, it's just to be a bit more open and communicative because I don't think, like, we're often uh, honest enough about our feelings and so just when things build up, then it ends up causing a lot more hurt than it than it needs to. And when this every, all happened, like, a month ago, I just felt like uh, Lenny from As Mice and Men, like, I didn't mean to make everything go so horribly bad, but I did everything completely the worst way. I just, you know, I felt like I was just, just killing everything I touched. I didn't even mean to. I was just doing it through stupidity and neglect. So I think we just need to be a bit more open just to stop things kind of barreling out of control and just talk and share a bit more. Uh, and yeah, and be there for each other and talk to our friends. Well, very good. Well, Casper, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you very much. You're welcome. That wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And until next week, stay manly.
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.